What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach and you're listening to this, then I know you've got a growth mindset. Well, Stick and Ball is just for you. They update their videos weekly with some of the best baseball and softball coaches in the country. It's absolutely a no-brainer. Go to stickandball.tv or check it out on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. This episode is brought to you by What About Baseball? It's no secret that we live in a world with constant electronic distractions. Families are spending less time together and kids often can't look up from their devices. But the What About Baseball brand is here to help. What About Baseball is a family-owned, baseball-centric business whose focus is on providing the best baseball toys, games, and accessories to bring friends and family back together to bond over the great sport of baseball. Starting with their best-selling Classic Edition board game, What About Baseball offers fun and exciting gameplay for fans at all levels, from beginner to expert. Whether you want to teach someone the basics of counting balls and strikes, or whether you are deciding if you should call the Suicide Squeeze, What About Baseball's Classic Edition board game is a proven winner and has the reviews to prove it. Even better, it's made right here in the USA. What About Baseball would like to offer Ahead of the Curve listeners 20% off of their best-selling Classic Edition board game and free shipping. Go to whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve to get your special offer. Today we have on Jonas Fester, head baseball coach at Lebanon Valley College. Jonas is in his third season as LVC's head baseball coach, and he is the 33rd head coach in the program's 125-year history, which makes it one of the oldest baseball programs in the country. Before Lebanon Valley, Fester most recently served as the associate head coach at Division III powerhouse Johns Hopkins. From 2008 to 2010, he was the assistant coach before returning to the program in a more prominent role in 2012. And prior to returning to his alma mater, Fester served as a top assistant at Catholic University for two years, and with his guidance, the Cardinals secured their first NCAA tournament appearance and defeated the number one team in the country. In addition to his time at Johns Hopkins, Fester was also the head coach for the Baltimore Redbirds youth program from 2015 to 17. There, he oversaw their development as both players and young men. Jonas also has international experience and in 2013, he was the head coach of Switzerland's Hunenberg Unicorns. So on the show, we talk about why it's important to have a culture of feedback. Jonas also shares his system for training command, and he also shares why he only has one rule, and that's don't cross your arms. You're gonna love this episode with Jonas Fester. Jonas, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. I'm, I'm really excited for the opportunity and uh, to chat with you. Me too, and I, I'm excited to pick your brain a little bit today. And and I want I want to know. So you get the head coaching job at I think you said that you were 33. So we'll just say younger head coach for sure. And you get the job, and again, you're a little bit older than most of your players, and you're walking into uh, the situation. You nail the interview. They call you. You accept the job. Then what? So I want to know what were your first. <coughs> What was your vision like whenever you got started? And then, you know, what were your first steps? Or you could say your your first 100 days on the job. What did that yeah. consist of? Yeah, so I was applying for head coaching jobs for probably the maybe five years before that. And um, kind of in hindsight, I'm really grateful I didn't get any of those jobs <laughs> just because 
uh, just aging out a little bit, um, I think really helped shape my perspective and, and just to get me a little bit more prepared. Um, but anyways, you know, we, and we've been playing baseball here at Lebanon Valley for 125 years. We're one of the oldest college baseball programs in history. And, um, I was the first full-time coach they've ever had. It was always a part-time position. And, um, I got the job, but we had like two buckets of baseballs, some broken tees and like one fungo. So uh, there really wasn't much uh, in terms of equipment, uh, in terms of infrastructure. Um, so it was a real cool opportunity to build a, you know, a real deal college baseball program. So um, I would guess a few areas I, I started with. So if you were to give me that 100 days question, it would be probably first was um, just massive communication with friends of the program. Um, people that were alums, parents of former players, just people I know. I just grew a list of about a thousand people uh, that I would email every month and just to bring them into the program and bring them into the fold. Uh, and that helped generate a lot of enthusiasm and get people invested uh, in what we're doing uh, and also raise money, which is which is really important uh, at the amateur and, and at level. Um, the second part was to figure out what our roster would be. Uh, at, at that point, I would say about a third of our roster was pretty good, better than I thought, college-ready players. Another third was not. Um, and that middle third, our job was to try to bring them up to that top third uh, to build a competitive team. Um, and then, you know, laying the groundwork for, for high-level baseball and what those expectations are, how to build a team. Um, and the last part I, I would say was staffing. You know, I was, I didn't know anybody around here. Um, you know, I was in Baltimore city the last 10 years prior and uh, I was able to find seven assistant coaches that pretty much do this for the love of the game and the love of this program. Um, and having that help, um, you know, I'm incredibly lucky to have, have a staff like that and without assistant coaches, um, man, you can't do anything in this game. Oh, no doubt. And I, lo I love hearing that. And I really liked that you, we're bringing in outside of assistance, uh, really to even learn about the program. I, I mean, were there some things that came up that they were like, Hey, they did this, or we did this, or this is something that's important that you didn't really know anything about. Yeah. So we had, we had one, um, one form, one assistant that stayed on from the old coach, uh, Chad shell. And he's just been a pitching coach and he's been a, a great friend and he's just a terrific coach. He was really excited to, help take the program to the next level in terms of analytics and Repsoto and, and things like that. He's just dove in headfirst into all of that. And then we brought in some other coaches uh, from some, some different areas. And, um, you know, the more ideas we have circulating at once, the better, um, you know, we don't just do something to do it. Uh, you know, we'll test it and we'll prove it and we're not afraid to change something as well. And, uh, you know, we've got a pretty open-minded staff that's willing to, to try some things. And when we talk about some of the drills later, I've got a good example of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't don't want a whole bunch of guys that agree with me. Uh, they tend to some, most of the time, but it's nice when they don't as well. Oh, for sure. So uh, the <clears throat> next next question I really have is, so you you get the job and you, you even mentioned what the expectation, like you're, you're laying out, out a groundwork for the expectations what are those for you? And I think it's a little bit different in every program. They call them standards or core values or just like the foundation expectations of what, what we're going to do here. What are those for you? And then how do you go about uh, making sure that those are lived out every single day? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's kind of the Holy grail question. Um, you know, I would say what, 
I would say first, um, we only have one rule on our team. Um, my first year here, I, I had some team rules and, you know, my second year, I just got rid of all of them. Um, <clears throat> and the only team rule we have is, is, uh, you can't cross, cross your arms. Um, that's the only thing that we will correct people instantly about. Um, and the reason I started that I, back when I was younger, I had a professional development seminar, um, and, you know, he would, and there was all coaches in there and the, the professor, you know, would point it out, you know, there were probably 50 of us in the room and probably 20 of us had our arms crossed and, you know, men, especially men are so used to just crossing their arms. Um, and, you know, you think about what that body language looks like. Um, you know, you look like you're closing yourself off or you're frustrated. Um, and when you stop crossing your arms, your posture gets better. You look a lot more approachable. Um, our guys ended up having their hands behind their back or their hands down right in front of them. Um, and it changed quite a bit. Uh, I can't remember the last time I crossed my arms. Just doing that right now made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, so it's kind of a, a kind of a funny thing, but I would recommend everybody try it to get that out of your body language, uh, especially as a coach, um, because it can really change, change a lot about you. Um, so, so that was, that's our rule. That's our only team rule. Um, but we do have expectations. Um, you know, the, the, the first one is I expect our players to be active in their education You know, I don't care what their GPA is, but as long as they're engaged in learning and they're active in that process, number two, to be the best baseball player you can be, we'll give you the tools and resources to do that. But we want to try to get the best version of yourself. And then three, and, and maybe most important is, is to be a terrific teammate and everything that goes into that. Um, so those are kind of our, those are our expectations, things we talk about a lot. We've got, you know, we can go into this in a minute if you want, but kind of our broader um, culture building and, and what's really important to us, we can talk about, but um, I'll kind of let that, let that sit for a moment. Oh, I love that. And so one of the, one of the things that I think uh, that I really want to get into, because I know mm -hmm. that, that you're a very, very thoughtful person about building culture and, you know, just by the way that you're answering different questions, it's like, Hey, we, I did this when we started and I changed it to this. And this is the reason why, because of this and this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the process of just building culture. Like yeah. I know that if you Googled that, that you would come up with millions and millions of different hits because it is in some realms a buzzword and it's, you know, but it's something that you believe you experience that you feel whenever you walk into great organizations and even bad ones. But yeah. It, and it, it also depends on the on the people that are within it on how you build it. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you have gone about continuing to, you know, add layers to it uh, in in the 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 three years that you've been there. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll kind of talk about two things here. First, um, you know, we we inject love and trust <clears throat> into our program. Um, I mean, this is a stressful game. Um, there's a lot of failure. It's heavy. You know, there's a weight of baseball when things aren't going well, <clears throat> or even when they're going well, it's a heavy weight of, of stress and anxiety. And, um, <clears throat> you know, this game has to be about relationships and, you know, deep relationships. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, being a teammate and cultivating genuine lasting friendships that are filled with love, that are filled with trust. Um, and if you can get that between people, 
Um, and you can get that between coaches and then between players and coaches. Um, you know, then they trust what you're doing. They have so much invested in what you're doing um, and they care about each other so much. Um, you know, that's been one of the most rewarding things to see in my first few years is, you know, our guys just want to spend all the time in the world together and they're, you know, you know, affectionate with each other and they'll have heavy conversations about things. So when you get on the ball field, you know, that person next to you is, you know, it's going to be the friend, you know, a friend of yours the rest of your life. Even if you don't talk to them for 10 years, you pick up the phone, you know, that's a heavy, deep relationship that will last a long time. So, um, you know, how do you do that? Um, you know, we talk a lot. Uh, we have conversations about those things. We, we evaluate, we're really transparent. You know, I'll never tell our players something that's not true. Um, and, and then the last thing, and I would say it's overarching. And, you know, my, my first year I got here, um, I thought that we, you know, we didn't know how to be, how to be great. Um, and not just at baseball, but I, I think in a lot of the things we were doing as a team. And, you know, we, we talk about greatness and, and now daring to be great. And what does it mean to, to dare to be great? And a lot of that comes down to, um, and if I could probably, you know, one thing that I would probably hammer into a lot of young players is you will never be great if you spend your life doing things that feel good. Um, doing things that you want to do all the time doesn't make a great person, a great player, a great coach you know, great, great leaders, great people, they're constantly doing things that they don't want to do because they know that will uh, help get their them forward or their program forward or grow their program. Um, so we, we, when we talk about that a lot, you know, when it comes to like pulling a tarp and things like that, there's tons of opportunities every day where you can choose to, to be great at something or choose not to. Um, so when that question is rolling through a program consistently, um, you know, you get some pretty good responses. No, really good. And again, I, I want to reiterate that because I think that's so good. We want to be, dare to be great and greatness. Again, for me, my interpretation, it, it doesn't happen in our comfort zone. And I, I love that. And it's just, <laughs> it's easy to say it's, it's a lot harder to live out every single day, but I, I do want to know, uh, you know, what does, what does your off season calendar look like? If we're going to be great in the next couple of months, putting together, uh, the next couple of things uh, for the summer and then getting ready for, you know, to, to hit the ground running this fall. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what you guys are doing, what you feel is very beneficial, uh, even what you've tried that didn't work uh, within, you know, the time constraints and the, and the things that you have uh, obstacles and, and things that you've got uh, at Lebanon Valley. But uh, anyways, long story yeah. short, uh, open up the book. Let's see what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this has changed quite a bit. So probably what the best coaching advice I ever got. So I, I was a I was an undergrad at Johns Hopkins and, and, and coached there as well. And Bob Babb, uh, he's got he's a Hall of Fame coach, uh, over eleven hundred wins and, you know, one of the smartest baseball minds and, and just an incredible human being and friend. Uh, one of the things he told me as a young assistant coach, probably my first couple of years of coaching, and I was a lot tougher then. I would kind of get on guys and. I didn't quite get why people weren't doing things well. Um, he pulled me into his office and said, you know, point blank, he said, you're going to be a terrible coach if you hold people to the standards that you had for yourself. And man, that took me a long time to really figure out what he meant. Um, 
but every single player, you know, goes through their development path at different times um, and different speed. And, you know, when I look at our off season, um, especially now into the summer, you know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to just program everybody like crazy and give them all these things to do and these workout packets and all that. You know, we have a full-time strength and conditioning coach. So those programs keep getting sent out. Um, you know, our guys are playing in the summer, but, you know, I am, I am not giving them things to do constantly. Um, you know, we, we try to build our program where we guys like working hard and they like putting in that time. Um, but everybody doesn't need to be a cage rat and hit every single day to be successful. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's certain times throughout the year where you have to really scale back, um, what your coach is looking at and what they're, they're kind of evaluating you for. Um, and trust them, trust them to put in the time and the energy and we'll know when they come back, if they did or not, and they'll come to us for help when they need additional help. And we'll do our check-ins every once in a while. Um, but you know, I think those off seasons are really important to grow the individual, uh, work ethic, um, in a player and, you know, because of division three rules, you know, we can't do a lot anyways. Um, but. I think that's a real opportunity for them to figure out if they want it themselves and, and to go into that. Um, you know, the same goes into our off season, you know, between our fall and our spring. Um, you know, we have a pitcher's throwing program. We've got a few different variations of that based on what we're trying to accomplish. And we've got indoor cages that guys continue to use, um, you know, but, you know, I'm not hawkeyeing everybody to, to see what they're doing. Um, you know, if we're going to trust our players, you know, we have to, you know, we got to live that too as coaches. No, I love that. And it's it's something that, <clears throat> excuse me, something that I, I do not do a great job of. It's, <laughs> I, I, I love that advice and it's, it, that's, that's a hard thing for me to be able to do. So I, I think yeah. the, the more that I can hear that. And uh, again, it's not a trust issue. It's a, I want you to be really good. And if I have to drag you to the field, it's almost, you know, it's yeah. like, how good do they actually want to be? And you know, the, the, the opportunity that I got last year to be around pro guys is like, those yeah. guys already have that. Like it's, it's like it's built in whether they learned that or if they were born with it or whatever. But then yeah. it's like, it's, it's, that's such a joy to be around for even with when you work with amateur players who aren't very good, but they, they love being there. They love putting in the work and yeah. you just, that that's what makes coaching enjoyable. And it's the kicking and screaming, pulling and dragging part that, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's for me, it's, it's almost human nature, but it's, it's something that I'm trying to learn when to push and when to pull. And yeah, it, and I, it's not an easy thing to do. No, gosh, no. And, and, you know, we're really lucky, you know, we get, you know, freshmen through seniors. So, you know, I, I don't hold our freshmen to the same standard as our seniors. I mean, that's just not fair. Like the seniors are adults, you know, they're getting ready for the real world. Um, you know, the amount of growth that a freshman will have from freshman year to sophomore year is, is incredible, um, incredible amounts of growth. And they're going to fail a lot and do stupid stuff and and be immature and have bad body language as a freshman, um, you know, and, and we expect growth um, and expect that to get better every single year. And, you know, when you've got juniors and seniors that have figured it out and kind of live what you're you're teaching you know, then the, the young guys have the role models and, you know, having that from your teammate, you know, an, an example of, of how to grow, you know, is man, in my experience, that's been a lot more powerful than, 
you know, me yelling at a kid to, to clean his act up. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's really, it's really hard, really hard. Not, you know how, I mean, there's been a kids, you know, kids like, man, I know how good you can be, but unless they don't want to be great, you know, can't do it for them. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to be still in that this summer because we've got dead period coming up and we're not going to be able to see kids. And it's like, Hey, here's some different things. If you want to yeah. be great, let's get to work. And if not, then it's like, uh, okay. But I, I do, and I do think, I, and you're not leaving out because we'll have some naysayer coaches who are like, well, you want to push your kids. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Uh, oh, yeah. they do need sometimes a kick in the butt. And, uh, I do oh, yeah, no. And, and for sure. Yeah. And you know, when we have them, and the expectations are high, you know, we've got very focused workouts, you know, we evaluate constantly and they're getting written feedback and verbal feedback constantly. Um, so we give them a lot when we have them, you know, I'm working on our end of the year evals right now. I mean, everybody gets a full written evaluation about all of our expectations we had of them. If they met those, what we're expecting in the fall and what we think they need to do to accomplish that. Um, we've got all of our stats that we'll break down and run through with them. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's heavy stuff. Um, and I got to take a break, man. These kids' brains need breaks and there's nothing wrong with, with, uh, letting them breathe for a little bit too. And then letting them kind of, kind of rejuvenate a little bit. I really like that. So let's, let's, while you're on the, on the subject of it, I've been trying to do a lot better job of just constructing feedback. And I think that there's, you know, younger me and I, even 40 year old me will look back on my, on myself now and probably shake his head. But I used to give feedback a lot. And then uh, just getting to hear research, it's like, OK, brain can only focus on one thing at a time. So then let's narrow it down to that. And also, you know, self-directed feedback from players like when they want it is a really big deal. And uh, or even uh, instant feedback if you're setting up a drill. Uh, yeah. would be, would be, you know, really good. Like how do we win this drill and how do you know if you did, uh, that's even better because then they can take that along with them. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, those, those are just some things that I've been trying to ruminate on, uh, and trying to get better at because yeah. you know, I, I get frustrated when it's not, when it's not done perfectly. And sometimes I forget how hard it is to hit a baseball. Yeah. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're constructing that for the players. So they know, uh, and, and then work us through, walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would say, you know, it kind of starts during our fall season. So um, we'll do intra-squad games. Um, and I just, I have a notebook and I got this from from Coach Babb at Hopkins. You know, I'll fill up, you know, during an intra-squad game, I'll fill up two, three pages of notes. Um, basically on baseball IQ and just things I'm seeing in that game. And, you know, I won't stop the game or anything like that. I'll let the game play out. And, um, you know, I type up all of those notes and send them out to the players when we're finished. And they're getting used to that, looking at the game differently and, and realizing things they might not have realized before. Uh, through that, they start to understand what I look for uh, in players and, and in the game. Um, you know, when we're finished with our fall season, we'll do another full written evaluation process. I sh I'll share the depth chart with our players and say, if the season started today, this is where you would be and this is why. Um, you know, during our spring season, especially with pitchers, um, you know, we've got goals for every bullpen we're trying to accomplish. We'll 
players, we write a ton of personal feedback. So after every time a pitcher throws a bullpen in the fall and the spring on the back of their chart, they'll write their thoughts and, and a reflection on how the bullpen went. And that all gets shared with me. Sometimes we'll share that with each other. Um, pitchers will share those with each other, those thoughts. Um, you know, during the spring in our bullpens, we've got kind of a group think, especially when we're doing pitch development bullpens where the pitchers are kind of helping each other and giving each other advice. Um, so I, I would say we just have a culture of um, just talking about getting better. Um, you know, and in terms of like feedback and evaluation and all that, you know, it, we're just talking about getting better and trying to do whatever we can to develop our players and to, you know, make them great. Um, give them something they can really hold on to. Um, so, you know, it's a really good question. You don't want to overdo it. But the, the more I have been able to be transparent about what I'm thinking, people don't ask me about playing time. They don't ask me about why something's not happening. I mean, they get it because I, I tell them. Um, and, you know, it's tough conversations sometimes. But, um, you know, at our level, you know, we've got you know young adults here. They deserve to know what we think of them. And but, man, we got to come to them with something that will help make them get better. And if we can't do that, then, you know, all of our eval is, is you know, not worth much. Definitely. And, you know, I, I this last year, I, I can't remember what book it was or if it was an article or something, but there was a quote that hit me right between the eyes and it was feedback is a gift. And I think it's Google that that says that it's like the the first thing that we do when someone is trying to give us feedback and it it could be because of tone or timing or you know self ego, but the first thing that I have a tendency to do is becomes you know defensive, and part of it is probably because it, it you know I don't get feedback all the time, and mm -hmm. part of it is ego and all of those different things. Yeah. But that one that one really hit me, and so I was like, man, I, I've really got to do a better job of of giving it and taking it from players, uh, you know, and obviously a mutual respectful way, but I would love to hear, you know, you, you outlined some different things that you guys are doing. Well, is mm. there, is there a time that, that you didn't do something well that comes to mind that is, that it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have that experience again. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things I learned pretty early on was like as a head coach, they, they, they listen and remember everything you say. Um, you know, the weight of your words are, are heavy. Um, so, you know, my first year, we were under 500, a pretty rough year. We just didn't have the depth and, you know, we, we weren't that good yet. Um, and that was the first losing season I've ever had in my career as a coach or a player under 500. And, you know, when you when you finish a game, like you have like the post game speech, you know, guys go down the line and, you know, I used to to read through game notes um, and I used to. You know, that first year I got a little frustrated at times with things that we weren't doing well. Um, and, you know, kind of looking back on it, you know, after that year, I, I changed a lot about what we do after the game you know, kind of what I was saying and what I was feeling was kind of for me, like my frustration. Uh, and the players don't need to hear that. Like, you know, if we didn't play well, they know that there's a time and a place that we go through what we went through. Um, so, you know, sometimes now we lose a game, don't play well, we just pack up and, you know, go home, maybe say a word or two. But, um, you know, there's a time and a place for a coach to get on a soapbox um, 
And that's usually not after a game. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of emotions going on. Um, and I did not do a good job at that. There were some things I said my first year that I regret um, that, you know, maybe they were true, but it doesn't matter. It wasn't the appropriate time to say something. So um, I said choosing your words really carefully, um, strategically, you know, there's, you know, really, you know, I, I think as a coach, you know, if you're going to say something, there needs to be a reason to say it. And if that means you're talking less, fine. Um, but think about what you're doing. Every every action you're doing, your body language, your words, um, that's a lot to think about. But, you know, you're in a managerial role. That's your responsibility to be really careful and, and intentional with your words uh, and how you project them. I love that. And, you know, the the more that, that I coach, the more I realize, you know, sometimes it, it, it takes them hearing it a thousand times and we get tired of saying it for them to actually listen to it. And then sometimes they'll remember things that we don't yeah. even remember saying. So it's like, oh, my God. OK, thanks. Yeah, we took, I took our seniors out golfing uh, last week when our season ended. And one of the guys told me something from two years ago. And I just have no recollection of saying that whatsoever, <laughs> but you know, it was a big deal to him, which is awesome. But it made me think even more like, damn, I got to be really careful here. Sure. You know, what you was it? Never know. I'd love to hear it. Um, I don't, I don't even remember. I did have a freshman. I'll tell you this one. I did have a freshman. Um, this, this is a pretty funny story. So um, I had a freshman, a uh, freshman catcher and, and everything was kind of all over the place. He's young, you know, really talented, but, you know, the academics have been tough and he's been kind of scatterbrained a little bit. Um, the second half of the year, the second half of the spring, man, it started getting so much better and, and he became more deliberate in his practice and his, how he took swings and reps and just a lot more focused and looked like everything was slowing down. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, you know, what, what changed here? What clicked? And, um, we were pulling the tarp one morning and it was the day after I got, uh, my COVID vaccination. And I felt terrible. It was like six in the morning. I had a fever. You know, I felt, felt horrible. And, you know, there were guys out there. Some of our guys were working hard to put the tarp on. Some of the guys weren't. Um, and, you know, I kind of reiterated the, you know, this is an opportunity where, you know, you're the type of person that's going to go out of their way to help and make this process smoother, or you're going to find ways to not do something. And then, I ended it. I got really pissed because I wasn't feeling well. And I ended it saying, you know, you know, when, when it comes down to your success as a person, um, like nobody cares. Nobody cares if you're not going to be successful. There's tons of other people that want your opportunity. You know, your professors, you know, when it comes down to it, they don't care that much. Um, you know, the only person that needs to care is you. Um, and, uh, you know, I said it in a pretty cranky way, but he told me, he said, coach, that was it. You know, realizing that, you know, I could sink here and nobody really is going to give a damn. Um, you know, that really hit me pretty hard. So, again, one of those things you just you don't know what fever induced uh, speech is going to work, but that one worked for him. So oh, I love that. And that, that that helps us as coaches, too, just to make sure that that our words aren't falling on deaf ears at times. And. You know, yeah. I, I think that that I, I just thinking about a, a really fun exercise, you know, at our retirement would be a roast the coach session. <laughs> just all this, the stupid things that, that we, or the really good things that we've said. Yeah. In our yeah. Time. 
Uh, but it is, you're right. It is rewarding to, um, to feel like you made an impact. It's, it's good feedback for us to get as coaches, you know? Absolutely. Well, the ne the next one that I wanted to uh, really dig into is uh, again you you have a culture of feedback, and you can take this with, with whichever category of player development that you want to, but I'd love to hear just some different things that you found that are important within your program and to give feedback on because there, like you mentioned, you could write up two or three pages worth of hey, here's what we need to do better. Yeah. But if you really broke it down to, you know, the simple skills of, you know, for, for me, for instance, it's like playing catch. We got to put the ball in play. We got to be aggressive on the base paths. And then we can <clears> learn <throat> from everything from that. Right. But like, what, what are some different examples of in today's age where everything is measured? What are some things that, that you like to give feedback on? You feel that are important uh, for them to be successful? Uh, just yeah. anything along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things we track in, in pitching, you know, we have a really unique pitching chart. Um, so they'll write. All right. So they'll, they'll chart each other uh, when they're pitching and they'll chart the whole game or if it's a bullpen. And we get all and when they tally up and do the math for me on their chart. And we have all these categories below. Um, and that's how we kind of develop our, our larger, you know, stats that we we do. Um, so through that, we'll, we'll chart to basically every outcome um, that they could control. So like things like ERA, um, you know, things like that, we just don't, we don't share that. The only, the only stats that we share with each other are controllable stats. So, you know, hard hit, what pitches were hit hard, balls, strikes, first pitch strikes, swing and miss percentage. Um, we're really big on the combination of swings and misses, swings and misses plus called strikes. So, you know, if you're getting swings and misses, you probably have pretty nasty stuff, right? It probably moves pretty well, late break. Um, if you get called strikes, you probably have pretty good command as well, and the batter's not swinging. Um, the combination of those two, if like, you know, 30% is kind of our benchmark or our goal. So um, if 30% of the pitches you throw can either be a swing and miss or a called strike, that's really valuable. Um, so we chart that. Uh, we try to develop our pitchers to be able to hit that 30% number. Um, so when we're developing, you know, our, our sliders or our curveballs or whatever we're doing, um, you know, we want to make sure it can be a swing and miss pitch. Um, you know, and we can talk a bit about our command system and, and how that helps increase that percentage. Um, now, I guess on the hitting side a little bit, we, we talk a lot about how do you accumulate bases? Uh, kind of what is your offensive value add? And, you know, if you're a power hitter and you can be up there and hit a double or a home run and you're the slowest guy in the world, you know, I'll take it because you're going to accumulate maybe two or four bases by just by being at home plate. Um, you know, if you're a singles hitter and the slowest guy in the world, but you bet 300 and you know, that's not too valuable to me. Um, you know, if you're a guy that doesn't hit for power, but walks, can steal bases, can go first to third, first to home doesn't strike out, you know, you're going to accumulate a lot of bases as well, just in a different way. So we try to have a balanced lineup of different types of base accumulators. So we're throwing different looks at the pitcher, but when we develop our players, when we evaluate them, we look at what their value add is, how they can accumulate bases. And then we try to help train them accordingly and making sure they're getting feedback that helps their personal, personal skill set. That's really good. I love, uh, I love how you, uh, stated that, which is how how can we accumulate bases? Because bases equal runs, and <laughs> the more bases that we get, 
I, I feel pretty good about our chances. But for yeah. me, I, and the two that you mentioned, uh, pitching and hitting, it, it all comes back down to really just dominating the strike zone. And, uh, you know, it's that's really, really good. Uh, but the next thing that, that I wanted to dig in with you, if you want to, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, you mentioned the command system that you guys yeah. do. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that and, and share what you can uh, just yep. in an yes. age that everyone is throwing so hard. Uh, this, yeah. this is going to be one of those staples of now, how do we get it in the strike zone? Right. Um, so this is something we, we developed at Hopkins as well. Um, and basically how are, how this system works and, you know, I've, I've tweaked it and changed it actually quite a bit. Um, but we, we know the intended location of every single pitch that our pitchers throw. Um, each pitcher has an arsenal that we've created, which is, you know, let's say it's a fastball slider and a changeup. And then they also know what locations they're trying to throw those pitches. And we only practice that. <laughs> they're not practicing pitches or locations that are not in their arsenal. Um, things can go into the arsenal and leave the arsenal and bounce back and forth. And we can add locations, take out locations. But we try to do, we try to figure out what they're naturally good at with our rep soda, with our cameras and all that to try to figure out what they're good at. Are they high spin, low spin? Are they consistent with what they're doing? And then develop an arsenal that they can master. And we try to keep that small to begin with, and then we'll grow it. Um, and the fact that we know the intended location of every pitch, we can chart that. Um, so we can figure out how good they are at actually hitting a spot, um, which is what we I call our command percentage, and then how good they are at missing in a healthy area, which is what I call their control percentage. And then the balance of that would be their bad miss percentage. And we've seen that certain benchmarks help. Um, You know, if you're in a certain range on how many spots you hit versus your healthy misses, you're better. Um, So throughout a whole year, we have a really, we can develop a really big sample size of if they're good at hitting spots. Um, And what we have found, you know, my first three years here, my first year before I got here, we had more walks than strikeouts, um, which is hard to do. Uh, my first year here, we were two to one strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, my second year, we were three to one. And I'm not sure what we were this year, um, but probably about three to one again. And everybody throws harder. Um, you know, we've got multiple guys that are throwing over 90 um, and they don't walk people anymore. Um, and a lot of that comes down to confidence. You know, we practice what they're good at, we try to master what they're good at, and we only call pitches that we practice. And uh, because of that, you feel good. You know what your stuff is. You're confident and you throw a lot harder as a result. Um, so that that's kind of what we do. Um, you know, it's an interesting system that that works, that really works for us and, and um, really works for the players too to, to really see if what they're practicing is effective. Oh, really, really good. I, I love that. And uh, I know that when when we were going over the question list, that was one of those. It was like, oh, that uh, that is something that we that we definitely need to hit on. Uh, yeah, and you can, you can do both. I mean, I don't think command and velocity or they don't they don't work uh, separately. Um, I will tell you this: like, if you want to pitch in a college game, you got to be able to throw strikes. 
you know, it's, it's really just that simple. Uh, we've got some younger guys that throw pretty hard that are not pitchable right now. And doesn't mean they won't be, right? Their long-term development is different than what they're doing in the short term to try to be pitchable. Um, but, um, you know, both of them, they can work together. Um, you know, they, they have to work together, you know, to be successful. So would you say that having that instant feedback and with a combination of figuring out what they're good at and then practicing that more is really the not I don't want to say the secret to but how you the discipline of getting better at controlling the baseball. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, you know, the intentional discipline of every throw that you take is trying to go somewhere. So if you're kind of blending in command into your catch play into obviously into your bullpens and um you know, our, our pitchers will call out the specific location, you know, with our system. Um, so kind of accountability and where you're trying to throw it. Um, and, you know, like, look, if you throw like, let's say you throw a 20 pitch bullpen and like, oh, I'm going to throw a fastball, curveball, slider, and I'm going to change up and then I'm going to work on a sidearm pitch. And like 20 pitches, 30, what did you actually do like to try to get better there? Um you know, and, and especially now, well, we got to take care of guys' arms. We got to be careful with things. Man, if you're going to be off a mound, like make that super meaningful and super focused because that's what a game is. Um, so I, I think that's a good way to put it. Kind of the discipline of of owning your command. Um, I think that makes a really big difference. Yeah, I really like that a lot. You and I, a lot of guys. I, I really like your system. I think that obviously it, it speaks for itself. And you you ask about command a lot of guys, and it all comes back to really playing catch well. Like, are you having intention with every time? Everything that you do every time you get a baseball, and yeah. I know that that's a very simple answer, and it's a really it's one that it takes a lot of discipline to be able to do that. But I think that's yeah. where it starts, and I and I love I love the 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 system that you have developed too, and and I think that that would give all of our listeners a, a great start into uh, trying to do that too. Yeah, and even even with our position players, like you know, yeah, every time they throw, there's a target, and you mix up where that target is. But every time you throw a baseball to somebody, I tell our guys, you can't throw it until you see a target. Um, I heard something last year, and it might have been at the ABCA. I forget where I heard it, but um, the only level of baseball where there are more fielding errors than throwing errors is the major leagues triple a double a all the way down through college the majority of infield errors are throwing errors um and the only place where that's not true is the freaking big leagues um so throwing is is everything especially as an infielder it's everything um and and you got to practice you got to practice good command uh for your infielders too um and throwing in practice and Man, um, you're right. It's it's so so important. No doubt. Well, I want to go ahead and, and skip ahead again, Jonas. You're no. such an intentional guy with with everything that you're doing. Uh, I I really love just the thought process behind it, and so I want to dig more into it. You mentioned that I, I can't remember which coach it was, so so forgive me. But you mentioned that you you had a coach that's really digging into Rapsodo and the say, and you even uh, we talked off the mic about you have a sabermetrics department or you're developing one uh, for evaluation 
uh, with the short term and the long term uh, goals. And so I, I'd love to to have you walk through because I, you know, as an amateur coach now and and even in in, in pro ball, guys are just swimming on what's important. How do we develop it? How do we get it out? How do we know what's important? How do we yeah. you know, how do we decide how to teach the player if we decide that this is something that's important? And it's, it can be very overwhelming. And so I'd love to hear just you work through <laughs> maybe not all of those questions, but I'll help you with with the word yeah. salad, that, salad that I just sent to you. Yeah, I would say like if you're going to spend some money somewhere as a, a young team, it would be I, I think the pitching rap soto is a real game changer. Uh, and if you have a coach that can understand it and can um, help bring players along with it, um, that is well, well worth the investment. Um, things that don't cost any money. Uh, I, I would recommend that you put together um, charts and especially game charts that can take the information that you're looking for. Um, so like I mentioned our pitching chart uh, through that, we have probably 12 different criteria that our players and they'll break down the math themselves um, that they can get to me. Then I can work with. Hitting the same thing. <clears throat> We've got a hitting chart that we use. And then one of the things that I, we did this year, and I thought it was terrific. Um, and this isn't really kind of, this is actually a lot more old school, um, but obviously that's just as important. Um, but we developed what we called an A swing chart. And basically we talk a lot about getting your swing off, getting your A swing off and the swing that feels like your best, that, that you, you know, you committed to that swing. Um, and we have a chart that runs through the game and it's basically either it was an a swing or it wasn't and it goes by each count so at the end of the game i can break down how many a swings you took versus your total um a swings and hitters counts a swings and pitchers counts a swings and two strikes and we kept that the whole year um, so we've got a whole you know we've got hundreds of swings on a lot of our hitters on you know what percentage of those swings were what we thought were a swings and um, that feedback really helped. Uh, early in the year, you know, our pitchers count and, and two strike A swings were really poor. So that helped guide our practice. Um, and so much of what the stats can do is, is guide your practice, right? And get you focusing on things that you should be focusing on that you might not realize, um, you know, when a game is going on. So, um, you know, I, I guess the simplest way to put it is, is um, you know, try to collect as much as you can, figure out what's important to you as a coach to help your team be successful and what you value. Um, explain that to your players and why that's important. And then figure out ways in your practice to improve those numbers. And then you can kind of see a, a direct line, hopefully. Oh, I love it. The next question I've got for you. So we'll, we'll go ahead and skip through the fall and more of player evaluation feedback and, and them. And then let's skip to uh, the spring or preseason. So how does, what changes, how does it change? How do you get your team ready for game one? And uh, you guys start in January too, like into January, early February. Yes. And in January, early February. Yep. yep. So, so um, when they get back, how do we, how do, what yeah. do we need to do to make sure they get ready? Yeah. I love preseason. Um, you know, I think it's like the best time of the year. You can really, lock in on, on specific things. Um, so we're, we're indoors for the most part, we'll go out on the turf football field and, um, but we're pretty much indoors. We've got a nice field house for about, you know, uh, a month and a half, um, before we 
hopefully play some games or go down to Florida and play games. So we have a 40 page playbook. It's big. We've got a lot of things in there. Uh, we approach baseball in a, a really unique way here. And um, classic, you know, high school teacher, you, you need to insert that whole playbook by the time your first game starts. And you basically work backwards and you plan out that whole month and a half. So um, everybody gets a calendar every single day we're practicing that whole preseason, uh, what time, where we're practicing, and then what we're inserting on that day. We'll start our, our practices, and this year was tough with COVID, um, but we'll start our practices in a classroom setting for about 10 minutes. We'll go over what we're inserting and why we're doing it. Um, and you can insert a lot of things uh, if you do it in a strategic way. Um, and that's what we do. Um, and then so much of it is kind of basic fundamentals. We'll kind of start from the beginning on a lot of things with our infielders, outfielders, and and just kind of work through the build-up progression of our skill sets. Um, and, you know, I again, I, I love indoor practicing. You know, I think for a period of time, it is it can be huge. You can get really creative with how you're setting up drills. Um, and you can do a lot. You know, you can get your team ready and build those skills up and, and be ready for, for that first game. Did you already have that system built out before you got there? Or did you, as your as your staff, uh, try and build out uh, of that, like the forty page the forty page document is what I'm what I'm thinking. Yeah, about. I mean, I had some things from previous schools. I kind of added and put together, and took some things out, added some things in. Um, but uh, you know, it's an ever changing, ever changing document. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, it changes quite a bit. I'm going to make some edits here in the next couple of weeks based on what we did this year and kind of do an audit of everything that, that we have in there. Sure. So what is, what's uh, the best process during the season? We, we talk a lot about feedback. Yeah. During the season, I, I feel like it, you almost walk the fine line of, this is what we've got to work with now, and I don't want to put too much on them to affect the now because, again, everyone's trying to win games, like players, coaches included. We're trying to win games yeah. as many games as we can while developing players. And that's a, that's a really, it's a, it's a tough line to go. And I, I'm sure it depends. Is he a starter? Is he a bench player? Is it a guy that's going to be helped now? Is it a guy that's going to help in two years? All of that being said, process of, of feedback during the season. Yeah, that's really tough. Um, so we, we shift a little bit more into kind of team feedback. Um, you know, what, what we're doing as a team, why we're being successful in games, why we not, why we're not being successful, our breakdowns of our charts. Yeah, there's a lot of individual things in there, but we'll talk about, all right, how did our offense approach that pitcher and what can we learn, you know, the next time out? Um, our, our pitcher feedback stays high. That individual feedback always stays high. Um, and then, you know, you're right. It's a real challenge because you've got some players that you're thinking about long-term development with that aren't starters and aren't getting much time. And you can't leave them behind. You know, you've got to make sure you're intentional with those guys, you know, on a daily, on a weekly basis. Um, I encourage coaches to have early work every day, um, you know, an hour, 45 minutes before practice. Be there as a coach, um, throwing DP or helping a kid. If, you know, if they show up, they won't work uh, and they want some of that individualized time. So building that into your, your practice model, I think, is really important, um, you know, there, there's ways to continue to push the individual development. Um, but, you know, it's not always what you want to do as a coach at a certain time, but it's, it's probably what we should do. Oh, great, great explanation. 
So you get through the season and hopefully things go uh, really well and we get to the part of the season that we're in right now. And, and you mentioned with, with exit meetings, what is, uh, I mean, uh, what, what is, what does a good exit meeting consist of? I know that it's, I, I really don't, to be honest yeah. with you and, and to be transparent, I have been part of some that, that were okay and they give you some feedback and I've been a part of some programs that don't give anything and it's just like, all right, we'll see you in August. And it's, it's gotta be something, something there that, that helps them. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think you have to tie back in the, your team expectations. Um, and, and we'll evaluate them on those expectations. So, you know, were you active in your education? Let's talk about, you know, what your, not just what your grades were, but how you were in the classroom and what the career goals are and, and what the next steps are. Um, you know, did your skill set as a ball player improve? You know, what are some things that we saw that are, that are, that are positive that we can, you know, we think are, are good and some things, some areas of improvement. And then as a teammate, you know, we'll talk specifically about, you know, how you were on the bench, how you were in the dugout at practices. Um, so we'll bringing back your expectations of the players um, and evaluating them on that. You know, that's kind of step number one. Um, and then, you know, what I what I found really helpful is just to be really honest about, you know, hey, if, if and going into the fall, this is what I think your your role on the team is um, that can change. You know, it's up to you. But. I'm telling you right now, this is what I think. Um, this is what I think you're good at. This is what I think you need to improve on. These are the areas to do that this summer. Um, but, you know, this is where you are and this is what you're competing for. Um, you know, it usually doesn't leave too many questions when a meeting is done, um, you know, when you lay it all out there for them. Sure. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's, that's a sign of a good meeting. And, and I'm, I'm sure you're open to, answering questions during the summer whenever they have them, but it's like, you know, you ask players what questions they have, they're going to say none. And then, you know, in August, they're wondering why they're, you show them the depth chart and they're third on it. I I really like that a lot. Yeah. And I'll do, sometimes I'll do, and I do a lot of these written um, in the fall, we'll meet face to face in the spring, you know, usually when we're done, they're gone. Um, You know, so those can be hard. I take, you know, it takes time to write these up, but I'll give some question prompts. Um, and we do a self-eval in the fall, a pretty lengthy one that they have to do for themselves. Um, they don't do as much of one in the spring, but I will give them some questions to kind of prompt um, at least some responses. I love that. Well, I've got some quick hitters here before yeah. you go. And uh, and I know the first one is you're obviously a very self-reflective guy, but I'd love to hear what is something that you've learned lately that that you're really excited about? Um, yeah, so, so our, our, our guys have really gotten me into, uh, mixed martial arts. That's never something I thought I would be interested in. Um, so, um, yeah, I've been really into it and, and listening to these fighters, listening to trainers. Um, and one of the things I heard recently was, you know, the greatest fighters, they're not training for something in their next fight they're training for something they might see three years from now. Um, I was like, man, like the discipline that it takes to do that, to build your, your skill set up for something that you might not even encounter for, for, Mm -hmm. for years. Um, I got me thinking a lot about baseball, you know, like, you know, you've got some, we've got some dopey trick bunt play that we practice all the time, Mm -hmm. but man, 
if we use this, we might use it one time all year and it might be in the biggest spot all year. And if it works, it was all worth it. You know, we stolen out. It was all worth it. Um, and, and I just, so it's an interesting culture that, you know, I've gotten really into. I think it's really cool. And, and seeing people, uh, listening to people that are on the edge of something so life threatening is, um, uh, you, you hear a lot of honesty. <laughs> I can imagine. And yeah. I, I'm right there with you. Um, what is something that you used to do that you don't do anymore? Um, yeah, I would say like most, the hitting that I, how I hit in college versus how I hit now has changed a lot. Um, you know, I was very much, uh, you know, throw the hands to the ball and, you know, I wasn't a very, I couldn't hit the ball the other way really well. I would hit a lot of side spinners and, you know, I was a great pull hitter and I didn't really know why I wasn't good at hitting the ball the other way, but, you know, I've learned a lot about how the swing works now. Um, my thoughts on pitching I and mean, that changes constantly. There's just so much information out there. Base running. There's so many cool ideas about base running now that I've changed about, um, you know, even just, you know, from a crossover to a drop step, you know, how that's kind of changed, you know, what your first step needs to look like. Um, you know, I enjoy looking back and at myself five years ago and saying, wow, I, <laughs> I think I got a lot better. Um, but yeah. You know, I'll, I'll try to take a lot from other coaches in terms of those baseball things. Um, you know, that, I think that's really important. There's there's tons of good ideas out there. Oh, great answer. Next question is, what is a drill that you know that your players love and that we can steal from you? Um, I'll give you two. I'll give you a, a pretty cool one and then uh, a fun one. Um, so, um, you know, I'm sure – you know, at every level, um, the outside strike is uh, called quite often. That ball two to six to eight inches off the plate is called quite a bit. And, you know, the players complain about it, but the umpires call it, and there's not much you can do. Um, we do a lot of work on competing on that pitch and how to stretch that corner as a hitter um, to be able to hit that ball the opposite way, flush, or at least to foul it off and show the umpire you'll compete on that pitch and the pitcher. Um, so one of the cool things we do, and one of my our assistants uh, came up with this idea, Robert Nordahl, and reminded me this year that we did it two years ago. I completely forgot, and it really helped us the last month of the year. So we'll do on-field BP front toss, but two, two front tosses. We'll have a screen in the middle, so we'll have a group of four, and um, you'll hit – break and then go to the other section, break and then go back. On one of the sides, we'll do that stretch corner. Um, so we're front tossing the ball off the plate and then as far off the plate as we can for them to get a good swing on. And the other side, we'll do inside corner or we'll stretch the inside corner on. Them. So they're going back and forth between the two extremes, basically hitting almost strikes. Um, and they get a lot of reps. You know, we'll do five, six rounds of three. Um, they'll go back and forth. Um, and they'll, they'll go from one side to the other of how their swing needs to compete on both sides of the plate. So that was really effective. And, and the guys had a pretty good time with it too. Um, oh, the fun one. Um, so we did this indoors uh, a handful of times, you know, towards the end of those indoor sessions, it can get a little bit, you know, monotonous. Um, but we, uh, we have a jugs uh, light flight machine that we'll hit off of. And uh, I'm really into cricket, too. I started watching that during the, the shutdown. And uh, 
we uh, will play like cricket indoors. We'll use the white flight machine as the pitcher and it's kind of modified cricket. Um, and, uh, you know, basically we just made up a game, um, you know, that got pretty competitive and got pretty fun. And, uh, you know, you need those things to, to, to break it up every once in a while. And, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it too. So. Oh, really good. And then finally, the resource question. I know a, a lot of our listeners are, are trying to grow themselves. And so is yeah. there anything uh, out there as far as books go or just resources in general that you would recommend to coaches uh, that have changed your coaching career? Um, uh, Harvey Dorfman's mental approach to hitting um, that changed me as a player has changed uh, the careers of several players I've coached as well. It's a really basic walkthrough of um, how to mentally handle hitting. Um, so that would be, if I had a book recommendation, that would be it. You know, as, as far as other like, culture building and all that, I'm going to be honest, like, I don't read any of that. I don't. And I kind of actively try not to. Um, you know, I, 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 at times I don't want to be influenced by what other people might be thinking. I try to be authentic if I can, but obviously I'm not. Um, so I try to read a lot of, I just try to find really smart people and just listen to what smart people say um, uh, about any topic whatsoever. Um, just, you know, if somebody is, is uh, you know, puts in the time and research and is passionate about something, listen to that person. Um, but, you know, it's about gardening or if it's about, you know, whatever. Um, you can learn a lot from passionate people. Um, so seek them out and, you know, listen to them. Um, that would be my advice. And the last thing I got for you, uh, number one, Jonas, thank you so much for coming on the show today, spending some time with us, giving us so much to, to think about and, and to go do. But I, I did want to just let you leave the listeners with whatever you want to leave them with and mute myself and, you know, mosey, mosey out of here. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, you know, as a college coach here, we have a real opportunity to, to change the game. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it is extremely important that we recruit, we hire, uh, we grow the college game to include uh, more players and coaches that are underrepresented, either minorities or genders. Um, there are so many smart, qualified people in this game, and baseball is a better sport when uh, everybody can influence it. Um, and I think we need to do a better job at college, um, but, but especially at all levels. Um, you know, the, the, the more people you have touching your program um, and the, the more experiences you have, I guarantee you it will be you'll see massive growth in, um, in your program and, and the people in it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.